Chapter Twenty Four of Marion: The Story of an Artist's Model, by Winifred Eaton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Chapter Twenty Four. Never shall I forget that journey in the train. I had not thought to get a sleeper, so I sat up all night long. I had the whole seat to myself. The conductor turned the next seat over toward me, and by putting up my feet, I was fairly comfortable. I shut my eyes and tried to go to sleep, but the thoughts that came thronging through my head were too many. I wept for my lost sweetheart, and yet I vowed never to go back to him. His future should not be spoiled by me. Oh, as I thought of how many times Reggie had said that, a feeling of helpless rage against him took possession of me. I saw him in all his ambitious, selfish, narrow snobbery and pride. Even his love for me was a part of his peculiar fastidiousness. He wanted me for himself because I was prettier than most girls, just as he wanted all luxurious things. But he never stopped to think of my comfort or happiness. Somehow, as the train slipped farther and farther away from Montreal, Reggie's influence over me seemed to be vanishing, and presently, as I gazed out into the night, he passed away from my mind altogether. We were passing through dark meadows, and they looked gloomy and mysterious under that starlit sky. I thought of how Papa had taught us all so much about the stars, and how he said one of our ancestors had been a great astronomer. Ada knew all of the planets and suns by name, and could pick them out, but to me they were always little points of mystery. I remembered as a little girl, I used to look up at them and say to one particular star, Star bright, star light, first star I see tonight. Wish I may, wish I might, get the wish I wish tonight. Then I would say quickly, Give me a doll's carriage. Ada had told me if I did that for seven nights, the fairies would give me whatever I asked for, and each night I asked for that doll's carriage. I watched to see it come, and I would say to Ada, What's the matter with that old fairy? I thought you said she'd give me my wish. Ada would answer, Oh, fairies are invisible, and no doubt the carriage is right nearby, but you can't see it. But what's the use, I would say, of a carriage I can't see? Try it again, would say Ada. Perhaps they'll relent. You probably offended them, or didn't do it just right. For seven nights more, I would faithfully repeat the formula. Then, at Ada's suggestion, I would hunt in the tall grass at the end of the garden. Perhaps, Ada would say, there is a fairy sitting on the edge of a blade of grass, and she has the carriage. Then I would lie in the grass and wait for the carriage to become visible. I never got that doll's carriage. The fairies never relented. I dozed for a little while and was awakened by the faint crowing of cocks, and I thought sleepily of a little pet chicken I used to dress in baby's clothes, and I dreamed of a lovely wax doll that Mrs. McAlpin had given me. It was queer how, as I lay there, all these little details of my childhood came up to my mind. 
I saw that wax doll as plainly as if I had it in my arms again. My brother Charles had taken a slate pencil and had made two cruel marks on its sweet face and had left the house laughing at my rage and grief. All day long I had nursed my doll, rocking it back and forth in my arms and sobbing, Oh, my doll! Oh, my doll! Ada had said, Don't be silly. Dolls don't feel. But she is disfigured for life, like smallpox. I threw her down. I rushed up to Charles's room, bent upon avenging her. Hanging on the wall was a lacrosse stick, the most treasured possession of my brother. I seized a pair of scissors, and I cut the catgut of that lacrosse. As it snapped, I felt a pain and terror in my heart. I tried to mend it, but it was ruined. Ada's shocked face showed at the door. I'm glad, I cried to her defiantly. Poor Charles, said Ada. Saved up all of his little money to get that stick. And he did all those extra chores. And he's the captain of the Shamrock lacrosse team. You are a mean, wicked girl, Marion. I tell you, I'm glad, I declared fiercely. But when Charles came home and saw it, he held that stick to his face and burst out crying. And Charles never, never cried. I felt like a murderer, and I cried out, Oh, I'm sorry, Charles. Here's all my pennies. You buy a new one. You devil, he stormed, and lifted up his hand to strike me. I fled behind Papa's chair, but I wished, oh, how I wished, that Charles would forgive me. It all came back to me like a dream in the train, and I found myself crying for Charles even as I had cried then. And again I began to think of Reggie, Reggie who had hurt me so terribly, Reggie whom I had thought I loved above everybody else in the world. What was it he had said to me? That I should be his wife without a ceremony. I sat up in the seat. I felt frozen stiff. I was looking at the naked truth, in the plain light of day. The glamour was gone from my romance. I was awake to the bare, ugly facts. The train was moving slowly, and someone said we were nearing Boston. I shook off my memories of Montreal, and an expectant feeling of excitement came over me. What did this big United States mean to me? I felt suddenly light and happy and free. Free! That was a beautiful word that everyone used in this land of the free. I went into the dressing room and washed my face and hands and did my hair fresh. A girl was before the mirror, dabbing powder and rouge over her face, and she took up all the room so I could not get a glimpse of myself in the mirror. You look as fresh as a daisy, she said, turning around and looking at me. And I guess you've had a good night's rest. I hardly sleep in those stuffy sleepers, and my fellow's to meet me, so I don't want to look a fright. I asked if we were near to Boston, and she said we were there now. The train had come to a standstill. End of chapter 24 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista